0: Welcome to the Brian Thomas Crop Podcast. My name is Brian Thomas Crop and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good. So I write them and I enjoy sharing them with you. And at the moment of this recording, um, I am coming off of a cold and so I realized that at least how it feels is that my voice is just a little lower and my nose is just a little stopped up. But this is good. Uh, Last week, um, uh, my voice was gone. So this is (laughs) a grand improvement. Uh, Glad that you are here. If you are new to the podcast, uh, what we do is I'll read in just a minute a chapter from uh, a book that I wrote a while back. And then we'll talk about the the kind of behind the scenes, the the director's commentary, if you will, of the uh, the, of the chapter, little Easter eggs some behind the scenes kind of thing. That'll be kind of fun. Uh, We have been in the um, uh, this first novel that I wrote called Showdown in the Yukon. And just to catch you up in case uh, you don't want to go all the way back to chapter one though it's been an adventure, and I'm going to leave out a ton of detail. It's, it's, I enjoy this book every time I listen to it, which is saying something for me. You may hate it, and that's fine. I don't know why you're here, if that's true, but this is where we are in the story so far. Uh, Monterey Jack Danvers uh, is a teenaged... A uh, pickpocket who's decided to go straight um, and leave the life of crime he's been hired for one last job by his old partner in crime mac sutherland mac has also decided to go straight uh, for uh, different reasons and um, he has been hired mac has been hired by this widow named gladys finch um, she's got her daughter with her lucy and uh, she has lost a gold claim uh, she and her husband got a gold claim up in Alaska some time ago, and then it got stolen from her by a guy named Cornelius Brown. And she has hired Mac, who has hired uh, Monterey, to get the claim back. So they've been traveling from uh, the middle of California all the way up. Now they are in uh, the Yukon Territory of Canada, and they are trying desperately to get to this um, uh, this location on a secret map that Mac has before the first snowfall. There's been shipwrecks and pirates and wolves and uh, native groups and all kinds of stuff to get to this point. You can check out all those in earlier chapters, uh, but now they are on the verge of, of getting their, their goals met. So hope you enjoy uh, the chapter and we will get to that chapter right after we hear from this week's sponsors.
1: Chapter 29 That night the wind shifted dramatically and by the time Monterey woke up the air was bone cold. He looked outside. The sky was a dark gray. He wondered if this was a sign to turn back before all was lost. He got dressed and pulled all his belongings together and stepped outside to meet the rest of the party. After a quick breakfast at Billy's Saloon, the good folks of Penny Canyon greeted the travelers and wished them the best of travels as they went off to confront Mr. Brown. As a gift, Mr. Moody gave them two small ponies. Mrs. Finch and Lucy rode along while Mac and Monterey led the ponies forward. For once, Monterey was glad of the walking as he thought it would keep him warmer than riding. Mile after silent mile, they made their way north. The serious task before them made talking an activity as disrespectful as telling a joke at a funeral. The land looked increasingly sick. Grass grew shorter and shorter, then in smaller and smaller patches till it was almost non-existent. In the same way, the trees, which must have been vibrant and verdant at some point, were increasingly colorless, leafless, and brittle. "'I can't bear this abuse to the land,' Mrs. Finch said when they stopped for a bite. "'When Mr. Finch bought the land up here, you couldn't escape the sounds of the bubbling rivers and creeks. Now it's all silent, all dead.' Eventually, they found themselves standing at the crest of a hill. Below, they could see the vast expanse of the property. It seemed to verify Mac's map, It was set in a natural bowl with mountainous outcroppings in most directions. The part farthest from where they stood looked to be the entrance to the mine. The large hole carved into the face of the mountain had many crudely painted signs decorating the opening and more than a few mine carts littering the ground. In another corner were several sluices to separate gold from dirt. The contraptions were butted up to the river which was indeed dammed up and provided a constant flow of new water for the operation. From the look of it, They must have moved as much dirt through the sluices in a day what the whole of Gooden Gulch sifted through in a year. Opposite the sluices was the house. Except for the San Lucas Hotel, Monterey had never seen its equal. The structure had two stories above ground, he estimated five rooms per floor, and there was no way to approach it without being noticed by at least twelve windows. How much money do you think he has by now to run an operation like this? Mac asked no one in particular. I'm sure if you ask him, Mrs. Finch, it's not near enough. Monterey could see she was holding in tears. Her jaw locked so tight Monterey thought she might kill Mr. Brown with her own hands if given a chance. Lucy looked at Mac and asked, So according to your map, Mr. Sutherland, where is the secret passageway? As if remembering again why they were all there, Mac reached into his pocket, pulled out the map, and unfolded it. He turned it this way and that to orient the paper to where he thought certain landmarks were. "'Let's see here. "'According to this,' Max said, "'the house is that structure way out there "'on this northeast corner. "'And the entrance?' "'Trying to reconcile the paper to what he saw, "'he said, "'It should be over there just past the southeast corner. "'I'd say another good mile of walking "'as we come off this hill. "'No time like the present.' It's not like things will improve much with us standing here talking, Mrs. Finch said and started down the hill without her pony. Monterey grabbed the empty animal's reins and followed after her. Mac led Lucy and her pony behind him. It was another hour or so before they arrived at the spot where the secret door was supposed to be. As it was, it looked like a primitive collection of rocks that might have first served as a property barrier or an ancient monument. However, soon after arriving at the site, Lucy was able to discover a slot that fit the size of the key perfectly. It was at just this point the quartet ran into some problems. Most notably was the key would not turn the lock. Mac tried and tried to get it to turn. Monterey immediately sensed a con, but the look of desperation on Mac's face made him wonder if this too might be a surprising reversal for Mac. Are you sure this is what your key went to, Mr. Sutherland? Lucy asked. You weren't sold a bill of goods, were you? Mac ignored her and scrambled over and around the rocks, triple checked the map, hoping it would unlock a clue or an answer. Hold on, Monterey said. Didn't Thomas say it would only open on the equinox? That's right, Mrs. Finch smiled. Do we know how far away that is from now? Hope sprang into Mac's eyes. Let's see. We set out from Gooden Gulch on. Uh, Mac began to mumble as he worked out the days and nights of the traveling. It was a little murky, though, not knowing exactly how long they had been in the mountain caves or the Lankua Forest. "'We could either have missed it, or it could be a couple of days away,' Max said. "'Or it could be today?' asked Monterey. "'If it was, or if it wasn't, how would we know?' Mrs. Finch slapped her hands on her thighs. "'I can't believe this all rests on a magic trick with the sun,' said Lucy." It was at that moment something happened to push their adventure forward in an unexpected way. For as Monterey looked at the sky, hoping he would be able to tell something of the sun's position in spite of the dark canopy of clouds, he felt an icy drop on his forehead. It was followed by another a few seconds later and another after that. He held out his hand and saw that the cold drops were small white puffs of ice that quickly melted in his palm. What's this? he asked. The others gathered around and saw what he saw. After inspection, the other three immediately looked up to the sky more in desperation than in wonder. Of course, what Monterey was seeing was snow, but he had never seen it before, and this was the first snowfall of the season. The first snowfall that in normal years would be followed by more and more snow until the whole land wore a coat of white fluffy puffs of ice. Are we going to be trapped out here? Lucy asked. It's just the first snowfall, said Mac. It probably won't amount to much yet. However, the longer they stood there, the thicker and thicker the snow became. Monterey knew this was supposed to be a problem, but he couldn't get over seeing the snow. He wondered why this felt more magical than a rainstorm, but for him, it certainly was. Within only a few minutes, the snow changed from large to giant puffs. Eventually, the snow fell at such a rate that the foursome sought as much shelter as they could near the door in the stone structure. It was from there Monterey noticed something odd. The snow covered the land with its cleansing stuff such that everything that was barren and gray was now an even, clean white except for a small square of earth not fifteen feet from where they sat huddled. The snow melted in that space quite quickly. Monterey got up and walked over to the square. His curiosity piqued, the curiosity in the others, and soon all four were standing around the dark square. Mac lifted his big foot and brought it down as heavily as he could on the square. There was undoubtedly a sound. Not at all like the sound of a boot stomping on solid ground, but at the same time it was difficult to place the sound's nature. Mac got on his knees and started to claw at the cold mud. Monterey quickly followed not sure what his friend was up to. Soon all four of them were removing a thick layer of mud and dirt only to discover a metal square underneath it all. With the snow continuing to fall and their fingers getting painfully raw in the cold wind, each of them tried as much as they could to find the one thing that would make sense of this discovery at that place at that time. "'This has to be it,' Monterey said as his finger traced the outline of another keyhole. He held out his hand to Mac. Mac fished out the key and slapped it in Monterey's palm. Monterey took the key and placed it in the lock. With everyone holding their breath, he tried to turn the key. Many years had passed between the door's installation and that day. Monterey could feel movement in the lock, but it was slight, and he could feel the rust slowing any progress. Each person had a turn moving the key only a fraction of a fraction of a turn. A thought entered Monterey's mind. He should have been used to such oddities by now, and he thrust his hand into his pocket. There he felt the familiar and welcome warmth of the pearl. Quick, he said. Get me two thick sticks. Lucy scampered off and returned, handing the sticks to him, He placed one stick on either side of the key's handle so that it looked like a giant T and began to twist. The sticks gave him greater leverage, but he was increasingly worried he might break the key in the lock. He took a deep breath, took the sticks tightly in his hand, and gave one more twist. The key turned in the lock as if it was newly oiled. They all quickly pried the door open and smiled as warm air drifted up to their faces. Monterey looked at them and asked, What do we do now?
0: So growing up in Kansas, um, not a lot of mining that I grew up around, um, but I uh, remember some of the architecture of what was included in um, the the scattered detritus, that's a fun word, of um, Cornelius Brown's um, mining operation. Uh, I gathered that from This trip that I took with uh, my future wife and uh, some friends up to, I can't remember where the Smoky Mountains are. It's either, it's a Carolina. That's all I know. I think it's South Carolina, but I get lost. Um, And there was a spot where there was sort of an abandoned mine where uh, you could go in as a tourist and grab a bucket of dirt and run it through the sluices, and then whatever you find in the dirt is yours. So we did this like it's like at the time, $2, you get a big, you know, two, five gallon bucket of dirt and you kind of run it through some water. And uh, in my bucket of dirt, there was this giant, um, I was really hoping for a diamond out of this thing, um, but it was this big, kind of milky-ish uh, white rock, and, um, and talking to somebody, they would say, well, you know, we can we can take this thing. It turned out to be a white topaz, and we can take this, and we can make it into a necklace, or a ring, or a pendant, or whatever. And I'm like, no, nah, that's okay. So I took it home uh, with me, and just kind of kept it around, and I think uh, Glenda had something from her bucket of dirt too. And um, when it came time for uh, me to propose to Glenda, I I hadn't completely thought all all of the details out, which is normal for me. I had gone home for a Christmas break. We were in graduate school at the time and she went back to her family. I went up to Kansas to mine. And I talked to my mom. I was like, hey, I want to uh, ask Linda to marry me and we should go look for rings." So I we went to this place and I told the jeweler, I have this white topaz. It'd be kind of a fun memory that you know we got to do this together and then that becomes the stone for the wedding ring. And he says, "Here's the deal. White topaz are uh, very cheap, and uh, they're not very valuable. So uh, outside of the memory of it, there's not a whole lot of monetary value and he's really trying to get me to buy a diamond. And um, if you have a raw one, it's even worse because to buy a stone that would fit appropriately in a ring, that might be $30. But to get a jeweler to, or whatever they're called, the, the jewel cutters, actually get it to cut down, uh, was gonna cost hundreds of dollars just for their time. And then you've got a $30 uh, stone to put in this ring. Like, okay. So we ended up, uh, in the case of this story, we ended up getting her a, um, her engagement ring had a pearl on it because I remembered, uh, you know, there's the, the pearl of great price, um, in the Bible and, uh, there was the hidden treasure. There's, there's all kinds of the, the story that you're listening to is kind of bubbling up at the time. And so I thought, you know, a pearl is nice and, um, it's unique and it does have some value to it and all the things and she could show off a ring that was, um, unique. And again, hadn't thought through all the things. So to do that, we had to get a ring that was, um, not finished. Uh, so they had to like change out what would normally hold a stone. They had to put a post in to put uh, the pearl on and it was going to be on order and all this kind of stuff. So I get home to Texas and um, we're talking about future stuff, and and she asks, you know, so where do you see our relationship going? And I'm a lousy liar. I'm planning on asking her to marry me the very next day, which was going to be New Year's Eve. And I, I felt really kind of pinned uh, between a wall and a hard place. Like, uh, I got you a ring which was not the answer she was hoping for. Um, she, she later said like, you could have said, um, pretty serious. You could have done a lot of different ways, but anyway, so I ended up asking her to marry me, uh, the next day she said, yes. Yay. Uh, very good. And, but I didn't really have a ring. So, um, I got her some cheap, really cheap, uh, like, paper band thing for that night which tore that night and then uh, i did i was able to get she had this really uh cheap ring of some variety and we ended up super gluing the white topaz from the mine to it for a while she had this giant nasty looking uh rock on her finger for a while until it broke but by then the Pearl ring had come in, uh, had been shipped in. So um, I have fond memories of mining, even though I don't have a whole lot of familiarity with that. And that sort of played into uh, the inclusion of uh, the details in this chapter. Uh, Another small, small thing is really just a private joke between me and myself, which is that the uh, moment of the equinox is when this uh, lock is gonna turn. And I'm a big fan of a show called The West Wing, and it's not so much that I'm a fan of um, the politics of the West Wing or the actors in the West Wing or the cinematography of the West Wing or a lot of things about the west wing what i really like is in the first four seasons the guy who wrote the show aaron sorkin has this ability with when he has a really good slate of actors uh, it's just very sing-songy dialogue and i really enjoy it and um one of the cold opens for the show they're trying um they're trying to balance an egg on one end and the theory goes that at the exact moment of the equinox it will set up uh, on one end and it won't topple over and they're trying to figure this out and one of the questions comes up when is the exact moment of the equinox given um, the uh, location on the globe that you're on and the uh, time zone you're in what is the exact moment of the equinox so they realized that that was a fool's errand uh, but I thought I would include it too that at the exact moment of the equinox, this lock would turn, which it did kind of magically. That's kind of cool. Um, the other thing I would like to point out in this chapter, uh, which has been kind of an interesting thing as I've been writing, uh, I tend to write short and to expand and include more details, I constantly have to be putting the uh characters in bad situations so that we can get them out of those situations and in this case um you know they've been they've been trying to get to this moment before the first snowfall and then the first snowfall starts at least the feelings that i have when i'm listening to this is like oh no they missed it because the snow's falling and that's terrible and that's a lot like in our lives. We we're trying to get some good stuff done and then just things all start falling apart and we don't know why they're falling apart and it seems like God's mad at us and all, all the things, all the emotions kind of come up. But then if it hadn't been for the snowfall, in, um, in this chapter, they would not have ever seen the trap door because the snow was melting around the trap door and that's how they were able to find it. And so sometimes that's true, at least in my life, uh, there've been really difficult seasons and really hard things happen, but it has been through those difficulties that, um, good things show up and, uh, my attention on the Lord grows and, um, I get to see the kindness of friends, and all kinds of different um, good things come out of the difficult seasons. And so, I was remembering uh, someone once pointed out that if it wasn't for the snow and the ice of winter, you don't get some of the green and the lushness of spring, and that there there is a purpose to it, and there is a goodness in it, even though it does seem rather disappointing at the time so i know it's december i know we're we're uh, depending on where you're uh, listening to this you're walking through uh, a cold dark uh, season um and if that um is where you're feeling emotionally too just know that as you keep moving forward in uh, walking with the lord then um good things will come out of The difficulty that the the difficulty does have a purpose in your life and um, that it will it will be good. It may not be the good that you imagine, but it will be good all the same. So uh, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that uh, you will tell your friends and family about the show and uh, include them in on the fun. Um, leave us a, a rating and review over there on wherever you're listening to this. Uh, that will help uh, get it into the feeds of other people. And if you haven't yet signed up for my reader group, uh, swing over to brianthomascrop.com, sign up for the reader group. I have a reader library that That I would love to send you, and that will put you on an email list where you will find out about all the new things that are coming, including coming up in just a couple of months, uh, if all goes well, uh, the sequel to this uh, this book will be coming out hopefully early in uh, 2022, right around, I think, February is what I've got scheduled so far. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But that's coming out soon, and you'll be uh, in the first to know uh, about that. So Uh, sign up there. Otherwise, I will see you here next week. And until then, I hope you have a great one.